Restaurants Unstoppable, episode 280. Even if I was exhausted and my back hurt, you know, it didn't matter to me. I wanted to make sure that nobody ever questioned my work ethic and my desire to do something. So when you do that, naturally you get noticed. But in doing so, you also improve yourself and you find your real potential. So if you don't try your hardest, it's hard to know what your potential is. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Hiring a consultant to train your staff and to improve your restaurant can be expensive. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could just get advice from world champion baristas and leading restaurant consultants without spending thousands of dollars? Tipsy believes you should have the chance to learn new skills whenever you need to, which is why they have hundreds of hospitality courses available for only $9 a month. To give you a little something extra, as a restaurant unstoppable listener, you can also get 50% off your first month. All you gotta do is Click the tipsy banner in the show notes. Get on it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Hari Polapaka. Hari, tell me you're feeling unstoppable today. <laughs> I am feeling unstoppable. I mean, <laughs> if I did, wasn't feeling unstoppable at the age of 50, I need to hang it up anyway. Right on. All right. So Hari was born and raised in the bustling metropolis of Mumbai, India. He came to the United States in 1987 to pursue graduate studies in mathematics. Today, Hari is a classically trained James Beard nominated chef, as well as an active tenured associate professor of mathematics at Stenson University. Hari uh, teaches full-time at Stenson University during the day and returns to the kitchen at Crest at night, where he is co-owner and executive chef. I don't know how you have the time. Most people don't have the time of their day just to, to be a co-owner and executive chef of a restaurant, but you're uh, you know, full-time professor on top of this. Uh, I can't wait to dive into how you juggle all these parts of your life. Uh, but before we do that, chef, I just want to uh, get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra for me it's uh, be honest be true to yourself and uh and don't worry about the outcome uh, do the best you can it's all they're all cliches but ultimately be honest and then the rest will follow so uh, why is it so important you say you know not just being honest and true but being true to yourself why is it why did you have yes. that to yourself in there. Why is that part so important? It's absolutely important. So you know, you can you can play the game of keeping up with the Joneses and always trying to do what supposedly somebody else tells you is good for you, but that can only sustain you for so long. Ultimately, we all have to do what comes from within, and so being honest with one's own inner, inner voices is supremely important for longevity and sustainability. I want to know what those inner voices was were saying to you to uh, open a full time uh, restaurant while being uh, a, a full time uh, professor. But I mean, I don't know. You're pulling it off. You're doing an amazing job, and we're gonna figure out how you juggle all this. Uh, but when did you really? I mean, you came to the states in 1987 uh, to study. Um, and when did you start thinking, hey, you know, I, I want to open a restaurant and be a co owner co owner of a restaurant? Like, when did that dream start to form for you? Sure. So actually, the dream actually formed for me sort of very spontaneously. I received tenure at Stetson University in the land in 2004. Uh, and then I sort of got sort of professionally a little bored. Okay. Uh, you know, I'd been doing mathematics my entire life. I came in 2007, I mean, 1987, as you mentioned. And uh, 2004 was a long ways away. So I'd been doing only mathematics and had been in academia my entire life. And then so I was just trying to, you know, sort of felt this sort of inner uh, uneasiness that I maybe should be doing something else. And I wasn't saying to myself I should be doing something else instead, but rather that I should also I should be doing something else as well. Okay. And and so I looked. I just looked to other do other things, and you know, just kind of piddled around on websites and searching on the web and what have you. And all of a sudden, believe it or not, an infomercial on TV for culinary school caught my attention. 
Okay. And when I saw that classic information and other commercial uh, with people in white coats and knives in their hands and, and plating food, it just somehow it grabbed me in a way that nothing else had. And I, I connected with the idea of suddenly having asking myself, you know, you know, what 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 would it be like if I just at this stage in my life uh, trained myself. In a, in, a, in, a, in a discipline, in a craft that's so different from anything else I'd ever done. And I just kept asking those questions. And literally, it's, it's, a, it's an example of how quickly I make decisions. Within two days, I was already enrolled in culinary school. Oh, wow. Uh, so this is 2004 where you had this kind of like aha moment where uh, you decided to enroll in culinary school. And then by 2008, you were owning your own restaurant. What? What yes. happened in these four years? How did you make this come to fruition? Yeah, quickly? and actually, I'm surprised it took that long. To be honest <laughs> with you, because I was, I was, <laughs> I had already been. I'm not. I wasn't a spring chicken then, and I'm, as I mentioned, I'm 50 years now. But uh, so I was already in my early 40s. And um, man, you get so work done. I can't. You get a little impatient, <laughs> right? You don't have time. Time moves a little faster. So. So to answer your question, you know, I graduated, you know, top of my class, all that kind of stuff. I was a very good student, very, very professional, never missed even a minute of class my entire year, traveled for an hour, beating rush hour traffic after teaching all day and coming back, all that kind of stuff. And I never missed a day of class, never missed a minute of class, actually, for an entire year. Yeah. Uh, and so that was something that I, that I just, it was, an, it was, it was a sign that I was really invested in this new endeavor. So once I finished cooking school, culinary school, uh, and I trained at a very good restaurant in Toronto, Canoe, for my externship, uh, I got the feeling that, you know, this can't end here. This can't be just like a hobby thing because uh, I'm actually good at it. And I, I had a real natural feeling for it. Okay. Um, and I was still young and I had still some energy left in me. So I said, you know, so I need to keep cooking. I need to keep cooking professionally. Uh, even if I join some restaurant and I say I can cook for you on weekends or it can be like a summer job, whatever. So I, the thought of not cooking professionally like was, was scary for me, mm -hmm. having to give that all up just like that after having gone, gone at it so hard for, for over a year. So, uh, and so then I, yeah, you, you got a cooking have, job and next up, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, you, you must've taken time away from being a professor to do all this, right? When you were training and while you're, uh, doing your externship in Toronto, I'm assuming you must've, you were away. So did you that is the only time I took time away is during my externship, okay. uh, because all through cooking school, I was teaching full time as well. Got it. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and so the following summer, you know, I got this uh, lead to try to do a summer job in Alaska and Denali, uh, which a lot of people do, you know, you know, summer work, project work. They come from all over the world, you know, these big resorts. And so I got one of those gigs at $10 an hour as a as sort of a tournant, you know, kind of all stations kind of person. Got it. And uh, I, I said yes, and I, I, I needed that experience. I knew I needed that experience because I already worked in a sort of an upscale fine dining environment. Mm -hmm. and now I needed that high volume, you know, bustling kind of a night kind of environment, night in and night out. And so that's what this resort job offered me in Denali. Okay. And I took it up, you know, enthusiastically, went through three months of that. And frankly, my real aha moment uh, of when I knew that this business and this profession, rather, was something I could do is after I finished that summer job in Alaska. Because so, that's when I knew I could handle the volume. So take me through that aha moment when you – was there a, a specific like time where you stopped and you thought to myself, this is it? This is when – you know, this is – this is what I'm going to do on top of being a professor too. But uh, take us through that moment if there is one. Yeah, there is actually. There's actually a day, a specific day in my time, my three months there. Uh, you know, they start you always start you off on garmage, and you know I was expected to make a lot of salads on the on, a, on the fly, and I was flailing at first. I couldn't keep up with the pace, and they're all hand tossed salads, you know, a la minute, and uh, uh, and that that kind of I didn't know how to handle that pace, and then suddenly it was shown to me by the sous chef there how you can kind of jump ahead a little bit, multitask a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then something clicked for me. And then from there, like within a week, I was already running the saute line because that's all I needed. I needed that little aha, that little push of how do you, how do you multitask without cutting corners? And I saw something and it made sense to me. 
And that's where the power of my, I hate to say it, my ability to think came in. And frankly, I was always in my mind four steps ahead of where I needed to be. And that's why I always stayed on pace. And that aha moment came with realizing that it's not just a physical, brute activity cooking is. There's so much intellectual, mental exercising that happens. And if you're able to hone those skills in, you can be really successful no matter what your physical limitations. So the fact that I was able to exercise my mind uh, already was trained in mathematics for all those years. So to you, think four steps ahead is what helped me, really. So when you're saying you're thinking four steps ahead, are you thinking four steps ahead in dinner service? Or are you thinking four steps ahead? Uh, here's where I am now in my career. And these next things need to happen to get to my ultimate goal of opening my place. Were you thinking ahead like that, too? Not as much, to be honest with you, about the career, but rather okay. during dinner service, because I was, you know, I was really young in the business. I, had, I literally had no real job before then. I got thrust into this really high-volume environment, and I was expected to hold on all the positions, including middle, including everything, with no experience, and I, mm. I think I did very well. Uh, so I, for me, it was just to understand how to handle that kind of volume with that compromising without compromising quality. And so when I then came back and, you know, doodled on it for a couple of years, trained, you know, did some private chef gigs, what have you, I said to myself, you know, I got what it takes. I can do this. There's nothing in the place I live in that even comes remotely to the, the vision that I have for the restaurant that I want to create. And so I knew the market was there. I, I, I knew the demand was there because the people were traveling out of town to get that experience. So, and I knew how the numbers worked. Mm. That's where the strength of my mathematical training comes in. Yeah, I was wondering. And I studied the industry standards. (laughs) I studied the industry standards, you know. I took my time. I I read. I read a lot. I read a lot before I ever contemplated contemplated even putting a business plan down. So, I just want to summarize a few things that really stood out to me so far. Um, Sounds like you needed a purpose. And then when you found that purpose, you were filled with passion, desire to really just learn and to have a higher, you know, definite purpose in life to serve something beyond what you're currently doing. And that really helped you really drive to get to the next level, to to train, to get the experience. And then you had that aha moment, which I love for you. You said it was your ability, you know, to to think ahead. And you knew you had this. It sounds like you have incredible mental, you know, ability. Uh, you're a smart dude, and you just are able to always be ahead of the beast. Uh, in aviation, I was a commercial pilot. We call it being ahead of the airplane. Like, where's the plane going to be? That's sure. where you need to be. Uh, so that combined with your mathematics uh, is, you know, and your ability to really plan into. To, it sounds like you did a lot of business planning before ever even, you know, looking to open. So take us through that. Is, is that you said you put a lot of thought into that. Yeah, because I wasn't going to trust my own instincts on what makes a business successful. I've never had a business in my life. Okay. I needed to read from the people such as yourself, you know, sources like yours, uh, on, you know, what are some do's and don'ts. And so I subscribe to certain certain uh, agencies and certain uh, organizations and their literature and that sort of stuff, you know, without naming names. And I just started reading the materials that they, that they had out there. And I checked the math for myself. I trying to put all of the number crunching to my, cause I have the ability to do that. Mm-hmm. So if they had, you know, example P P P and L statements, I looked through those things and I looked to see if they made sense. Okay. Uh, and, and re- everything I read was sort of consistent with the recommendations of what I was what I was being, what I what I was reading as being industry standards for mm-hmm. this and that, whether it be this cost or that cost or this margin or that margin. Okay. And so when all of those consistencies sort of started falling in place, and I did the math myself, I already had a very clear set of numbers in front of me that I knew I was going to have to shoot for. And realizing I, this is my, this is my, I mean, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but this is my. Big advice to anyone who ever thinks about opening a restaurant is to realize it's not a sprint. It's not a middle distance race. It's definitely a marathon. Mm. So you got to put your head down for a few years before you can imagine trying to resurface and saying, okay, I think I have some stability here. It's never, you're only as good as your last salad, but still there's some, you got to put, you got to put your head down for a long time. Yeah. And that's one other thing I want to point out. Like you have this idea 
uh, you saw the infomercial and you, you, it was like an aha moment for you there that you wanted to, you know, get into culinary, but you took four years to really make sure it was something you were good at and something that you really, yeah. really loved. And that's another huge lesson to take away from this, uh, you know, is to, to, to find out if you're truly passionate about it, find out if you're good at it and find out where you belong, get in your lane and, and get, you know, stay in that lane. And that's what you did. And I'm curious, what was it like opening? Cause, um, I mean, you weren't alone in this progress or, or this no. process. You had your wife. So how did that – how does your wife come into the picture? In, uh, uh, well, so, yeah. So that's – I mean, this is not – ours is not a typical story. We're both professionals <laughs> with, you know, advanced degrees. And so she's a physician. And and she, you know, being the consummate partner in life, supported me. And her family supported me. And, and without that, I don't think – I'm pretty sure we, I would not be where I'm at. Uh, and we all say that, but in my case, for sure, I can't imagine opening a restaurant, running everything by myself. Mm. Uh, and even if I did, I don't think I'd be successful. I would have probably fallen flat at some point. So uh, she brings to the equation something totally different and complementary in a good way. So what does she bring to the equation? Yeah, so she's, uh, she has developed an interest in love and appreciation and expertise in wine. So she's the sommelier on, on staff. Okay. She had her own practice and business before I ever had a restaurant. So she understood how to run a small business. Uh, she understood how to manage employees. Uh, she understood uh, aspects of literally how to open a new business. I knew nothing about any of that stuff. Uh, so it's just right off the bat, she was a huge asset. So it's somebody I would have had to pay for normally. Mm-hmm. But we opened as equal partners and owners, so... Uh, she's from day one given me full reign of the kitchen, which is which was important to me. And from day one, I've pretty much given her full reign of the front of the house. So we keep things separate. You know, every now and then we have common discussions, but uh, for the most part, we know where we we know what our roles are in the restaurant, and that's what has kept us successful. That's why we're year, we're in year number nine and going as strong as we ever have. Yeah, it was funny when I was doing my research, Hari, and looking into who you were and the different parts of the restaurant. I I saw it. I was like, oh, like, okay, this is how he does it. You know, he's a professor during the day and at night. He's the executive chef, but he has his wife and his wife probably is, this is what she probably does, you know? And then I started looking into your yeah. wife, her history, and she owns her own, her own practice. She's a doctor. I'm like, That's how, right. I'm like, how are she's they a, doing this? Uh, yeah, she's a sole partner. She has no partner. She, 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 she is the only physician on her staff. So uh, she's the only one who treats her patients. It, that's amazing to me that you guys pull this off. Uh, but one thing I just want to point out from what you're sharing with us is uh, you were very clear with your business partner and your wife about who is responsible for what and really drawing a line in the stand saying like, this is where I, this is my lane. That's your lane. How, how important do you think that is to business success? It's super important. Now you also have to realize it's not, it sounds good on paper, right? That line is good on paper. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't always get followed because uh, life is life is its own thing. We have exactly. opinions about everything. So when there's so much common time that we spend together, we invariably are going to have some, some disagreements on things that, but, but what's more important, equally important beyond drawing that line and understanding who, who's really in charge of what is to have respect for each other. Mm. So no matter what, uh, when when you butt heads, it can't be something that's lasting. Uh, we, of all people, have to realize that every, all decisions that we make are for the greater good. Mm. Uh, and then once you do that, then after that initial, you know, stress that can ha- occur in, in a moment of disagreement, uh, when you step away, you come back to the same realization that it's all about this beast that you've started, this this baby that you've started. So once that is clear that nothing is personal, it's just the stress of the moment, the stress, the anxiety of what has to be done, then then the line in the sand in, in combination with that mutual respect is a recipe for success. Mm, I love it. And you said something about uh, always coming back to the greater good. So did you have a clear and indefinite purpose and mission and why uh, that your yes. service was, was serving? Yes. Uh, so... You know, I'm an academic, so I brought that to the table. You know, when I start something new, I always have a mission statement and I have a set of goals and I have a set of outcomes. And that's how I've always done everything I've done when we're creating something new. So when we had the restaurant, it was no different. We actually had a restaurant mission statement and we had a, a story to tell. And we had a very clear way of telling our guests the kinds of information we wanted them to know about us. Uh, so that storytelling has been a part of our 
our not just repertoire but our style from day one. And so the mission is is close tied is closely tied to the fact that we tell real, honest, come back to honesty, honest, authentic stories that are relevant to what we do and how we do it. So what was your mission in how were you telling these stories? What was what was it about these stories you were telling? Well, first, I'll just let you answer. What was your mission? So my mission was to be a restaurant that practiced sustainable practices that sourced fresh food as much as possible, seasonal food, and ultimately gave the guests an experience that was unparalleled in our area. Mm. And that included the quality of food, that included the quality of service, that included the repertoire of wine options, the repertoire of food creations, everything. So our goal was to stand out as a place that was not just another restaurant down the street, but something that was one of the kind. And that's been our goal today as well. So we still, every day, every year, when we look at the year and review, if you will, I'm a big fan of looking back to see how the year went. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I lay down everything on the piece of paper, I want to see that this year was different from last year. There's always something new, always something fresh, always something unique that we're bringing to the table. So uh, the, the storytelling was about the farmers, about the sources, about the recipes. I freely gave out recipes to all the dishes that our guests liked. And there are no secrets in food. If you want to share a recipe with somebody, that's the best gift you can give them. Mm. Feeding them is one thing, you know, but if you can share that recipe with them, they have the utmost respect for what you do because they realize you're not doing this for some ulterior you know, self, completely self-serving goal. You're doing this because, A, it makes you happy. It's a living. And, and ultimately, you're doing this because food, you know, you believe that food is a great equalizer. Yeah. So if you can share the information that makes you successful with others who help you make you, help you be successful, that's the ultimate giving back, I think. Yeah, and um, just a couple of things to pull out of, to really put emphasis. When, when you're thinking of storytelling, it doesn't necessarily – I mean, it's great to tell your story. Uh, your story is kind of important, too. It's a way for people to connect with you, but it doesn't end with your story. There's, no, so, there's no. so many opportunities to really dive in deep and create that impact with those stories of the your purveyors and even your, your guests, uh, telling the stories of your yes. guests. Like, there's so <clears throat> many opportunities there. Uh, and, Absolutely. Uh, another thing that I love uh, is the whole idea of – I feel like when people – with food, we get really protective of our food because that's our bread and butter. That's our livelihood. But the truth is like people are coming to your restaurant for the experience. Uh, and when you give them the recipes like you do, uh, I feel like that's just one way you break down the walls and develop trust and rapport with people. Yeah. So how else has you know really just being transparent and uh, open helped and served you and your restaurant? I think that's it, right? So that, that that's the most powerful uh, impression that we can give of ourselves. People people going to write stories about us all day long in magazines and, 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 and feature pieces and what have you. But when it comes from us directly and they know that what comes out of our mouths is what they read about when other people write about us, that's a full circle. It's like there's no disconnect. Mm-hmm. So I've been a teacher my entire life. So I'm in the business of sharing information. That's been my business since day one. So I, the thought of not doing that when I had a business was unthinkable. It's just the only way I know how to live. I'm, the, I, I'm, I'm free with everything I know in my life. Everything that's in my head is like for other people to know. Like if it's of any value for somebody, I'm happy to give it to them. Oh, man. It's always an honor for me to share that. You that know? might be the title of today's episode, The Business of Sharing Information. I love it. Uh, <laughs> so uh, another thing that I really want to get out of you before we move on is when you are telling these stories... Uh, what platforms are you telling? How are you telling these stories? Are, do you have a blog where you're telling these stories? Are you I telling do. the stories in the restaurant? Or are you using video? What's the best way to communicate the story? So all of the above. Uh, so since almost since uh, day one, I've had a weekly newsletter that okay. I send out to people that I initially subscribed to, but then since then we just have ways for people to subscribe to themselves. Mm-hmm. I have over 1,500 subscribers to my restaurant newsletter that I write to every week. Uh, and in that, I write very freely in a very casual, engaging style. I also have my own uh, blog on Huffington Post that I've written for for several years. Uh, and you can look me up. Uh, just to put the Huffington Post and my name, you'll find my blog. Uh, and through that, I write about opinion pieces about any number of things related to food and the industry and even my personal life sometimes. Uh, and then we've been very fortunate to be featured in so many, so many ways by so many people 
whether it be through video or through, through you know, celebrity chefs and Emeril Lagasse came to a restaurant, did a whole piece and uh, that kind of thing makes big, big, big uh, splashes. And then I've been on local network TV uh, morning shows numerous times in Central Florida doing cooking demos and that sort of stuff. So all of the above, really. So these opportunities uh, to get Naturally out there. social media as well, yeah. Yeah, these opportunities to get out there and to uh, speak uh, on other people's platforms. How did you get that ball rolling? Were you approaching people or did they start approaching you? I think so. I, I, I think it, the first instance may have been them approaching me. And, and I think it's just taken off from there, to be honest with you. So I've been very fortunate that way. So, yeah, they what, came to me. What was so appealing about you? What do you think it was that you were doing in your life that made people go, we got to get this guy. We got to get this guy's story. What was it? I, it? It could just very well be the unexpected combination of my professions and how we're doing and the fact that we're all in. Uh, you know, we're all in. So it's not like we're hands off people who have hired a bunch of cooks to cook for cook our food in a restaurant. I am the cook. I think that's my it. wife is the sommelier. <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. I, I agree with you. And I was wondering if that's what your answer was going to be. But when you do things in your life uh, that are truly amazing, truly outstanding, that make people go, holy fill in the blank. Like how how are they pulling this off and how are they doing it so well? Um, when you are truly outstanding, you make people do you know a double take and you make people you make people really look at what you're doing. And I think the lesson from this is focus on being outstanding. Uh, don't just do things halfway. Do sure. incredible things and uh, sure. and. I love it. Um, do you want to reflect on that? I second that because that's my advice for all the young folks who come to my kitchen or even to my my classes. I'll say, you know, I don't care what you're doing. When I went to culinary school at the, at the age of 40, and I was one of the oldest people in the class easily with no experience, and everybody else in class had some experience or working for Disney, whatever, uh, and I had no cooking experience. I was the first person to go to be, be there right and write a class. And I was one of the last people to leave, leave class after cleaning all the things that I needed to clean and make sure the kitchen was broken down. And even if I was exhausted and my back hurt, you know, it didn't matter to me. I wanted to make sure that nobody ever questioned my work ethic mm. and my desire to do something. So when you do that, naturally you get noticed, but in doing so, you also improve yourself and you find your real potential. Mm. So if you don't try your hardest, it's hard to know what your potential is. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Yeah. So, I absolutely know what you're saying. I love it. And I mean, I think if we can learn anything from you in this interview, uh, something I really want to dive into is, you know, first discipline. How do you have the discipline to have all these moving parts in your life? How do you manage all of it? Uh, and I, I, I can only imagine how good you are at time management. So, I mean, do you want to reflect on, on discipline first? Yeah, definitely. I've become far more obsessive about time. Uh, I mean, I measure time in minutes for sure. Wow. Uh, and I'm looking at the clock. Sometimes and I, so today is an example. Right now, just before we got on the air, is an example. I had something like you know a container of food sitting in my office. That's a, that's a reusable container. So it's a super easy example, but I'll give you an example of it. And we had about three minutes before your phone call was going to come in, and I said to myself, "There are two things I can do. I can let this container sit here, and it's going to bug me that it's sitting there." And we can get through the interview, and then I got to dash home because I got to help my in-laws do something okay. after the interview. So I can try to squeeze it in between those two periods of time, or I can just make it happen now in the three minutes that's left. And I found a way to make it happen now. I have to go downstairs, clean the thing, come back up. It's a very simple example, but I knew that the three minutes that I had was enough time to get the job done. Mm. And I think this 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 uh, ability to think ahead. Uh, you, I mean, you, you said that you do it in the kitchen, but I think you're doing it in your life uh, always trying to think. I mean, we all have the same 24 hours in a day. And yeah. I think what's going to separate the amazing uh, from just the normal is like, what do you do with those 24 hours? Uh, and it sounds like you yeah. are always working towards something in that time. I am, but I also want to make it clear that I, I know how to stop and smell the, smell the flowers. So okay. when, I, when my mind decides to shut down, I have the tremendous ability to shut down. Mm -hmm. I really do. And I can do nothing for hours. Okay. But once, once my tasking uh, clock starts getting engaged, then I am on, I am on a very time, very time sensitive schedule the whole time through. 
and I get a lot of stuff done in a very little, small amount of time. So yeah, let me because ask, I manage my time very well. Do you do you manage that quiet time? Do you do you set time aside down to the minute to be quiet and just have like self reflection? No, I don't. I mean, but I crave it, and when I'm able to get it, I make full use of it. So no, I don't manage my quiet time, but. Uh, what I do do is I give myself a certain amount of time. So, for example, tonight uh, I'm going to spend, I'm going to have my, <coughs> pardon me, have my in-laws do something, and then we're going to watch probably some TV and some election coverage. And theoretically, I have a, a presentation tomorrow at 8 a.m. To, to a committee that I'm on, uh, and it's an important presentation. And I need to spend about an hour going over that before I go into the meeting. Okay. But what I'm going to do today is I'm going to take the night off, not even think about it. I'm going to set the alarm for 6 a.m. tomorrow and know that by 8 o'clock I'll be in that boardroom ready to give that presentation. So I will, I will play tonight so I can work tomorrow. Mm, I like it. Uh, what else do you do uh, to manage your time and to have the discipline? Even just We haven't really talked about the discipline yet. Like, How do you hit the switch in – go straight into work mode like that because uh, you don't have a choice. Yeah. You have to. I don't have a choice because so much, there's so much that I think that depends on me, especially with the business. I can't blow it off at all ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when the, when the guest walks in, stuff has to be ready. There's, that's never an option. You yeah. have to have it ready. Uh, that's the first thing. And then in terms of school, the same thing. There are 30 students waiting for you in class, not showing up on time and not being ready for class is not an option. Mm-hmm. So neither of those two things are optional, optional things. It's not like I can say, you know, I don't feel like doing that today. Mm-hmm. There's no backup plan. I have to do it. And uh, so there's that pressure. But beyond that, I think I I have I've always had a fear of failure. Mm. And that's, I think, what propels me often to make sure that I will do my level best to get something done. Hmm. I mean, it's really hard for me to acknowledge to somebody that I really couldn't get it done. I mean, I, I, I'm very hard on myself when I get, if I never get, when, when I do get in that position, which happens periodically, not often, hmm. but you know, sometimes it's an overload and I can't get something done in a given day. I might ask for some extra time. I don't like doing that because I don't like wasting other people's time. Awesome. Uh, I'm curious, has that fear of failure ever hurt you? Um, I don't know. I'm going to find out. I mean, it probably hurts me in terms of maybe I obsess over things more than I should uh, because maybe failing is just my interpretation of it. Maybe other people don't see it as failure, but it's not that important because if I see it as failure, then it's failure. <laughs> now, it's funny. When, when I hear people, the conversation of fear of failure, when that topic comes up, it's usually they never start. Because they're afraid they're going to fail. Oh, no. For me, I, 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 I always, everything I do, I, when I get approached to do things, it's 90% of the time uh, I say yes first and then I figure out how to do it later. Yeah. Um, unless it's overbooking and I'm double booked, uh, then I won't do it. But if, if, if I have a free slot of time, if somebody asks, asks for something or I'm engaged in something, if I see the value in it, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes, and then once that time frame comes up on me and it's time to do that, I make sure that I set myself up for the best scenario that I can meet. So set, I don't want to say success, but I try to make sure that I'm not going to fail. Mm. And so uh, to be ready, yeah, go ahead. I just had this this aha moment because so often when I do just you know I study for myself and I learn about how to become successful like like I mentioned earlier that fear of failure is what prevents people from starting I feel like if you have that fa- that fear that fear of failure that it's that's all the more reason to start because of you as an example if you have that fear you're going to be that much more likely to not fail because you don't want to yeah uh, and then with each growing with each growing example, with each additional example of of performing and doing well enough, mm-hmm. you get more confident. And then the next instance of of being faced with failure is not as daunting. Mm-hmm. It's always daunting. There's always some pressure, but every time you're successful at something, it increases your self confidence. And so over time, that's a cumulative effect. Uh, so if anything, it gets easier to face adversity the more you succeed, if that makes sense. It does. I love it. So eight years now you've been open and you've had great success. Uh, 
if you could just you know hone into like two things or one big thing, one big lesson, uh, a point where you evolved in just took the business to the uh, another level. Can you think of any of those moments in your career or any of the, the changes that happened in your restaurant where it, it really just brought your restaurant to the next level? I think so. I mean, our current concept is all chef tasting driven. So and I create food freely now. Okay. And so it took a while for me to get to this point. Uh, when we became, we got some notoriety and we got a lot of press and I got all those James Beard nominations and all those things. You know, all those things were great. Uh, but suddenly I realized that I needed to leverage that, mm-hmm. uh, to leverage that for the better. Uh, not for more profit necessarily, but for the better in terms of what I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when we were able to, over a year now, uh, go to a concept that is completely food-centric and the people who cook your food, i.e. me, come to your table and take your order and then go to the kitchen and cook your food and bring it out to you, that is full circle. I mean, I, the, the fact that I'm able to pull that off is what's the most uh, most gratifying aspect of still being in the business. So, that after all these years, now I'm cooking the way I want to cook and cooking what I want to cook. And you're serving it to the, the guests too? Yeah, everything, wow. full circle. Wow. I take your order, I go to the kitchen, I cook the food, I bring it out to you. That's amazing. How has that uh, influenced your business? I, well, for one, it's a lot harder to get in. We have much smaller now. We've downsized, okay. uh, and so people have you know people get a little frustrated because yeah. they can't get in. Okay, uh, but you know at this stage in my life, uh, what's more important to me is that I can, as long as I'm still able, is to to practice the craft of cooking as well as I can humanly do. And the only way for me to do that now is to do it the way I'm doing it now. Mm. Just listening to you talk, uh, you're reminding me so much. Uh, I recently just finished a book called uh, Small Giants, written by Bo Burlingham, uh, the uh, ex- the chief, um, the editor-in-chief of Inc. Magazine. And he yeah. was profiling uh, this woman uh, who was a, a, a dress designer uh, for like 60 years. She's been dr- designing her own dress, her dresses. But she just chose to only do all the work herself, kind of like what you're doing mm-hmm. now. And um, she chose to do it with, you know, to only be very selective about her, not selective, but to only, I mean, you're not being selective, but you're, you can only manage or serve so many people at once because you're one person, but she handpicks her right. clients. But what that has done for her, it has allowed her to enjoy the work that she does so much more because each and every guest or in her example, customer is of such a more impactful relationship where she actually, she, yeah. she likes that person. Like, Hey, I, I, I'm choosing to, to, you know, serve you because I like you and I want you to, to have the best dress in town when you go out. Cause I want you to look good. Like with that experience yeah. that you're doing, like you're, you're raising the value on your service. So, um, yeah. it's, it's more elite and it's more high touch and you, the, the impact you must be having with your guests now on their lives, on their experience, their dining experience. I can only imagine. I- I'd like to think so because, I mean, you know, I don't always have the time to have long conversations between courses. I, they know that. But I spend an inordinate, inordinate amount of time now with my guests, every single one of them, mm. than I was able to when we just became another busy restaurant and I had a sous chef and we were just putting food out and I was never – I never – could even look, put my head up once the guests were coming in at full stream in the, in the, in the heavy seatings. Yeah. And I had regulars who would come in and celebrate their 50th anniversary and I couldn't even say hello to them. And that got really frustrating for me. And that's, that's the other thing I think to wrap up this, this topic right here is what's the impact going to be for you? Cause like you started this interview by saying, uh, you know, do what comes within or do what's right for you because to be, truly happy in this industry like you've got to do self-fulfilling work you've got to feel filled yeah. inside and it sounds like you found a way to do that so that's a, a beautiful example so far so good and, and it's the only way i can go for a few more years let's put it that way <laughs> it's the only way i can go i have no desire to retire anytime soon but yeah. you know you do get older and i turned 50 this year and and it's and i'm still pulling both ends of the candle and they're both pretty brightly lit as far as i can see yeah. And uh but but I don't want either one to die down anytime soon. I'm going. Would you say your work is more fulfilling now than it's ever been? 
It definitely is. It's it's harder, but it's more fulfilling. If, 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 if I'm not happy now, I need to get out of the business. Yeah, and I think you're just a beautiful example of those who choose to be great instead of being big. Uh, so many you're like so many people who are in your situation where they cook and they get this uh, this press and they're doing amazing and they grow out, they expand, they get yeah. bigger. Um, but you're choosing to grow within and to grow deeper into yeah, yourself deeper and yourself. the deeper impactful relationships with your people. And I think that's a a, a beautiful thing. I really thank do. you for saying that because that's that's truly how it is for us, and it's completely counterintuitive and. And as you mentioned, more likely than not, people who have who have some success will tend to expand. And 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 I'm not. No one should knock them for that because you know everyone has the right to do what they want to do. But for me, it's not fulfilling enough, and so I couldn't I couldn't imagine growing any bigger. You know, but when you when you create that that impact with people, and you you make it about the work you're doing, and you make it about being both impactful for yourself and other people over time. I I'm willing to bet. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see where you'll be in five years because you chose to really make it more meaningful. Uh, I think over time that approach always serves uh, better. I, I, I really do. So well, it'll be interesting. I, I look forward to that day as well. <laughs> yeah, I don't hope I didn't jinx it. I'm not going to wood. I'm not going to. No, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> it's nobody else's fault, but my own. If I don't succeed. Uh, now I'm curious if I asked your wife that same question about what you guys did to really see a big difference in business, her being on the business and the more, the business mind, uh, front of house, you know, managing people, managing, uh, what would she say that she's done to really see a big difference in the business? I think she's also seen this, you know, she, she didn't come from a hospitality background. I personally didn't either. So it's not like we're trained to be, to, so I'm going to say this and it's going to sound a little controversial. We were not trained to, to believe that the customer is always right. Mm-hmm. And so we sometimes wear our emotions on our sleeves as well. And she comes from a highly intense environment, a physician, you know, where she's dealing with often sometimes life and death kind of situations. And, and she has to have the upper hand. Otherwise, the patient can get hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she comes from that background. And I'm a teacher and I'm in complete control of my classroom. So I come from that background. We come from very control backgrounds where we have a lot of control. But in the hospitality business, as you know, you have to let go of some of that. Um, uh, we don't have middle management who can buffer that from uh, between us and the guests. So when we got to be a routine restaurant with pretty decent volume uh, and it became just another busy restaurant that was popular, uh, we felt the stresses of dealing with scenarios where we didn't agree with certain things and with the hospitality of it all. And, you know, we're not enjoying it as much. So she would be the first to agree with you that since our transition to this concept, where we're so much in charge and it's so focused and it's so personal now that she can't imagine going back to the way it was. Awesome. Beautiful. And before you get to the speed round, I just want to have you share a failure. So real quick, when was the time that uh, you did feel fail uh, and having that uh, fear of failure? I'm really interested to know if you've ever in your eyes, I mean, have you, do you think you've ever failed in what you're doing? Well, I think I fail probably 80% of the time with the food I cook. Okay. That's how hard I am on myself. Okay. Um, you know, uh, so I, I always think something can be a little bit better. Okay. Uh, there are times when I think that's it. That's the best I could do. Mm-hmm. That's it. That, that dish cannot taste any better. That's it. That's mm-hmm. that peaked over there, right there. So, but most of the time, I think something could be better, actually. So when you do fail with that dish, how do you move on? How do you detach yourself from that emotion and move on? So it's, 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 so it's easier to accept the failure where I think that I did everything I could, but for whatever reason, the plate didn't look the best or the sauce was not as emulsified as it could have been. Those kinds of things are I can get over more easily. Okay. When it's a more serious mistake, like, for example, uh, I forget to put an ingredient on a dish mm. and I've sold it to a guest as something else mm. and I forgot. And I almost always will catch it and I will run out and pass on the extra ingredients. I'm sorry, this should have been on your plate. And most of the time, the guests are blown away that I would do that because I can't imagine them not knowing that I forgot. I'd rather them know that I forgot than them thinking that I intentionally or was was oblivious to it. So those are all minutiae, but it's easier for me to get over the the subtle things. But the, the more blatant mistakes on the food side it takes me a day or two to get over that stuff. Uh, so, like, especially, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, what's, what's the, the lesson here uh, for you um, 
I have an idea of what it might be, but I'm curious when you do fail, uh, from, you know, the story you just shared with us and how you react to it, what's the lesson from what you just shared with us? So the lesson for me is that first of all, own your mistake, Mm. uh, own your mistake and you'll achieve a lot more success and people will respect you that much more. Mm -hmm. But to, to be defensive is counterproductive usually, Mm. uh, you know, having said that, if a guest comes in and wants to make my curry taste a totally different, as something totally different from what I'm intentioning it, intending it to be, and curry is just a stereotypical example. We don't have an Indian restaurant at all, but it's a popular item when I do have a curry because people look at my face and go, yeah, you probably make a good curry. <laughs> and I do, but, uh, but that's not what all I do, you know. Uh, but, but, but the lesson, the big lesson for me is, is, and I tell this to my staff as well. I had a kid, I have a kid just yesterday at brunch, uh, day before at brunch. He told me a white lie straight to my face, front of the house person. And I said, look, I will forgive five of your mistakes before I forgive one of your lies. Don't do it. Don't do it. Own your mistake. Move on. Because mm-hmm. that is hard for me to get over. Beautiful. It's I the same it. thing. So what I preach is what I'd like to practice. I love it. And just to kind of add on to that, absolutely own your mistake. But one thing you did in the, the example you gave is we're going to fail. I mean, that's part yeah, of life. It's inevitable. But it's what you do after you fail that will define you. And what you do is you, you do what it takes to make it right. And this, and I think when we do fail, especially when it comes to an issue with service, uh, when you do whatever it takes to make it right in front of the guest, that failure can end up serving you more, so much more if you just chose to do nothing about it and go, oh, whoops, I forgot. Well, right. maybe they won't right. notice. But the fact that you're run out of the kitchen with that ingredient you know, on a plate and you make it right will create such a, a memory, such an experience for that person. And that's true regardless of any failure in life, how you make it right. Uh, and I, think- I agree. And I always uh, try to make light of it, you know, and, and it's sort of it's a way for me to forgive myself in a way in all of this too, is I always, not always, I'll often joke and I'll go, you know, I got an old guy cooking back there. So sometimes you forget stuff. <laughs> and they know I'm talking about myself. It's a little self-deprecating humor and it sort of lightens the mood a little bit. <laughs> awesome. Uh, we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. Whether you're just getting started in the restaurant business or if you're a seasoned veteran, there's always something new to learn. That never ends. <laughs> Tipsy has taken everything you need to know and put it in one easy-to-access location. With Tipsy, you can learn what you want, when you want, by accessing an incredible library of video courses on topics like food and beverage, service, marketing, and business operations. It's basically a one-stop shop for everything you need to run a successful restaurant. You can also use Tipsy as a staff training tool. Through the management platform, you can select the courses that matter to you and schedule them out to your employees in a few simple clicks. Individual memberships are only $9 a month, and as a restaurant unstoppable listener, you receive an extra 50% off your first month. So what are you waiting for? For $4.50, you can have access to this incredible resource right now. Just find the tipsy banner in the show notes. We are back in the first question I have for you, and we're going to try to speed this up because we are getting close to the end of our time, and I want to respect you and your time because you pay attention to every minute. Uh, the first question is... <laughs> I uh, hope not. <laughs> what is I know I one, said it, but I hope not. <laughs> what is one if factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Honesty. I, I, I don't know what else to say. Honesty. I have a supremely... Uh, a clear conscience and I'm completely honest about everything I do. Mm, I love that. And I couldn't agree more. One thing I've learned about myself is I'm not good at lying. I can't do it. I wear my heart on my sleeve. And once I accepted yeah. that, <laughs> I've realized that living life is so much easier when you're just honest. It and is. It's so free. You've got it's nothing so to hide. <laughs> it's so real. No, so I don't always <laughs> speak my mind, but that doesn't mean I'm being dishonest. But when I do speak my mind, I'm being honest. Awesome. Uh, what is your biggest weakness? My biggest weakness is perhaps just the fact that uh, I sometimes do get caught up in the minutia and I don't see the big picture mm-hmm. because I'm so engaged in the moment. Mm-hmm. I'm always in the moment. Mm-hmm. 
uh, when I'm working in the kitchen, I'm in the moment. And so maybe sometimes it's worth uh, stepping away from that a little bit, but I don't know how to do that. And that's part of it. I'm, 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 I completely micromanage everything. And that's my week. Maybe that's what I'm trying to say, that uh, I probably micromanage more than I should. Uh, what is one piece of advice you have for leading others? To lead others, I would say the piece of advice would, uh, the best thing, the best thing I can say is to, you have to lead by example. I don't think there's any way around that. You can't preach something that you don't practice yourself. Mm -hmm. So if you lead by example, the good ones will follow. Those who can't won't. And that's fine because you probably didn't need them anyway. Mm -hmm. Now, are you still hiring people or is it just you and your wife in the restaurant? It's just me and my wife. I've got one assistant prep cook and slash. You can't even call him line cook and have a dishwasher. And my, there's an assistant from my wife up front. So no, we're not currently hiring, but it's a volatile and it's a high 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 uh, attraction business. So people do come and go. So you never know. So when you're looking for uh, that next person, what's one thing you're looking for, or what's a question you ask to really get at the core of that potential hire, uh, who they are. Yeah, so I, I hire people very easily, actually. People think I have this long process that I put a person through. Mm -hmm. I don't even make them cook me anything. I hire them based on how they talk to me when we meet for the first time, uh, how open they seem to be, how much they seem to care about money versus the craft. Mm. That's super important to me. Of course, you're going to get paid. You're going to get paid really well at a place like ours. But I want to make sure you're in it, not just for the money. Mm. So that's super important for me. Beautiful. Uh, what is the current challenge you're dealing with and how are you dealing with it? Staffing is always an issue. I mean, I wish I could hire somebody who is a you know, talented talent. I had a sous chef with me for three years and he's chosen to do something else in his young life, which is fine. And I completely support him. Uh, but now I'm without a sous chef again. So it's all in me 100%. Every single bit of it from prep to execution so I could use a reprieve in that. Um, so, you know, I'm hoping somewhere down the road I could find another sous chef who has the same integrity and the same attention to detail that I think I do. And and we may not take, make the same food or have the same palate, but at least I know that they're looking out for our best interests. So hopefully someday in the future that will happen. And how are you dealing with that? Well, I, 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 there's no way around it. I'm just getting it done. I'm just getting it done. Man, I can only imagine how great it would be to have an opportunity uh, if you're a young aspiring, sh you know, chef uh, to be to work one-on-one -on -one with somebody. Like, that'd it's be funny you say that because I say that all the time. I tell anybody who comes to that kitchen, you have an open laboratory here. It's <laughs> right? such a small kitchen. You see all the invoices coming through. You see the cost of our food. You see the menu price. You see how much food waste there is or isn't. You see how I make the food. You see what flavor. I mean, it's a completely open environment. There are no yeah. secrets. That's so if you cool. want to open your own small business, you spend three months in my place, you can do it. Oh, man. Uh, we'll leave you an opportunity at the end to let the folks know how they can get in touch. Uh, what is one thing besides food your restaurant does really well that separates you from other restaurants? Our restaurant is completely invested in our community, and we support a number of causes that relate to our core values of education, health, uh, of course, food, uh, of course, uh, food insecurity, hunger, those sorts of things. So what our restaurant does is, I think, when we go around the country, we go for all kinds of events, uh, We people around the country think we're this big restaurant with like a modest-sized staff. They don't realize that we're a 24-seat restaurant in a small town in the middle of nowhere with two full-time professionals who do this full-time in the evening as well. They, they, they think we have backups of like staff who take care. We do, but when we're not there, the kitchen is pretty much closed mm. for the most part. So there's really no restaurant. So what we do well, whether it's well or bad, I think is that we really a restaurant that is truly a David, but we come off as being Goliath mm. no matter where we go. Beautiful. I think, we have a big again, footprint, I think. I think that, again, that goes back to the power of impact over reach. Uh, when you focus on just yeah. doing things really well on a small scale, um, if you can really make that impact, that's when people sing your praise. Uh, and you seem much bigger than you are because of how good you are at what you do. So beautiful. Yeah. Um, I love it. What is one book Thank we you. must read uh, to become a better person or a restaurant owner? 
Um, so I wish I could give you one. I actually don't have one. Um, I wrote a book recently, of course. I put my own life story into it. But uh, I suspect any book, I'll just keep, speak theoretically, any book that allows a person to see the potential of working hard, being honest, being true to task, uh, and to really be a good student. I mean, it's really important to be a good student. And that's probably the one thing that I've forgotten to say today is you have to be a good student in life. Mm -hmm. You have to learn to be a good student. And I said this to my staff the other day, you know, one of the secrets of success is to be aware of your surroundings. You have to be, an, you have to be aware of where things are, whether it's when you're communicating with somebody, whether it's in a space you're in and you're working, when you walk into a new place and you're trying to fit into a new job. If you're, the faster you become aware of your surroundings, the more successful you'll be because you'll just do things better. And whoever is supervising you or somehow is watching you will see that. So that's, I don't know how you teach that, but awareness, spatial awareness, um, conscious awareness, uh, material awareness. I don't know how you teach those things, but being aware is a, is the most powerful skill a person can bring to a table at a job interview. You just have to be aware. I love it. If an interviewer, if an interviewer asks you a question and, you know, you can see how they flinch or you can, let's say there are two people interviewing you and one person asks you a question to see how you're going to respond. If you observe the person who's asking you and they give a knowing glance to the other person, that should tell you something. Yeah. So there's something there that, that somehow that question is important. Mm -hmm. uh, that's awareness. Mm -hmm. That's awareness. Got you. And uh, you mentioned when you were first getting started uh, back 2008, which wasn't really that long ago, you were consuming all types of industry material. Can you think of some of the places you went to really learn about the business of open air restaurants? Yeah, I went to the American Culinary Federation's website. I went to restaurantowner.com. Mm -hmm. uh, that's some third-party website, and yep. I read their documents. And yep. Jim uh, Lab was on the show. Uh, great folks over there at Restaurant Owner. There we go. I, yeah, I read his I read his books, not his books, but his online material, and I got downloaded a lot of his files. Uh, and then I also just did a lot of Google searches. I went to all the famous restaurants' websites. I tried to do lookups on their stories and to see how, you know, some of their modest beginnings, if they've had any. Uh, and just to, just just to read other people's impressions of sort of like the storytelling that we're doing about me today or us today awesome. is to just to essentially that, essentially that just trying to find stories and pieces like perhaps this one will end up being. I love it. Uh, what is one piece of technology you've adopted in your restaurants that has made you more profitable, more efficient, more, uh, I, I bet that's a big one for you is more efficient since you only have yeah. so much time. Is there, are there any technologies well, you're good. leveraging? Oh yeah, yeah, a good calendar, a good calendaring, a, a good, good handheld calendaring system is unbeatable. <laughs> what are you using? So, we use Google okay. actually. So we don't pay anybody to do our reservations. We use Google calendaring. We do all the reservations ourselves. We save a ton of money doing our own reservations. That's one thing. And then in terms of uh, squares, the, the the money processing that we use. Okay. And uh, we. Uh, we we do a lot of special events throughout the year, and often we will do pre-sales of the events. So our events get booked up before the day even arrives, oh, wow. and that happens because we're able to do pre-sales. And that's something we learned just naturally made sense because why wouldn't you do pre-sales? Yeah, and and but yeah, not everyone thinks to do that, and uh, that's a huge. Uh, cash flow generators in general. And so that's a good thing. So are you using uh, square to do those pre-sales or how are you managing? What technology yes. are, you, are you using? So how does that work? Just square. We create, so I use, so, I, so in addition to everything else, I'm, I've always been a fan of computer graphics. So okay. I have done all of our marketing materials okay. since day one, all the flyers, everything I do myself. Okay. Uh, and so that in tandem with a good calendaring system and then square, we're able to do promotions of so many things, uh, so many events that we have year-round. And we use social media 
I mean, of course. I mean, we're somewhat shameless on social media. Are you, so, are you using any technology on social media to kind of uh, like a, a platform to manage your social media, like a dashboard? N- no, I do not. My wife does. My wife's an early adopter of all kinds of technologies, uh, and she's the one who probably is the best person to ask this. But I use my own individually, and I, I just – it goes back – it actually has some – I could easily use an all-in-one tool that does managing – that manages all the social media that I use. But instead, I choose to use one at a time – because that's a reflection of how I am. It's that micromanaging. I don't want this one blast that looks the same everywhere. What I post on Facebook was going to look a little different from what I post on Twitter. It's going to look a little bit different from what I post on Instagram. Mm. And they all have that unique special touches, the way I do the posts. And that's my incessant need to micromanage. Awesome. Um, so it takes more time, but I think it's more effective. Sometimes your, you know, your strengths can be your weaknesses, and vice versa. Your weaknesses can be your strengths. Yeah. And I feel like in this example, that weakness is a strength because you really get to pay attention to that detail, and that's where it all really matters is in the details. So, um, okay, if you could go back in time, back to two thousand eight, Hari, when you're first opening your restaurant, and give yourself one piece of business advice, what would it be? Um, so this is a great question. I've never had to think about it actually, uh, because we're just always thinking ahead. I'm not thinking back in time at all. Usually, um, having said that I do do, you know, I do yearly reviews and I see how the year went, but, um, I, I would say to maybe, um, I hate to say this, but maybe set our menu prices a bit higher than they are today. I think that's a great list. Than they were back then, I should say. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the, people always hurt themselves by you know trying to attract more business by keeping the prices lower, but then you're just... Yeah, and we have not changed much since day one. So our prices, for all practical purposes, have not even taken into account inflation. Mm. So in this day and age, because we've cut down staff and we're far more lean, we don't see a hurt necessarily, but we could be more profitable if I had, if I had realized how good our value really was. Maybe that's what I'm trying to say. I think I underestimated our value. So the lesson here, and it ended up being, don't underestimate your value. That's it. Beautiful. Uh, what is one question I could have asked you that would have provided more value to this interview? Um, you could have asked me, um, how do, you know, how can we help food education in this country? Okay. How can we you help know? food education in this country? <laughs> <laughs> I I think it's because that's the teacher in me and I've been a student of food education and now teach as well. But, uh, I, I, I think more culinary schools and more more food program, uh, culinary program curricula should include a more hands-on approach to uh, the business of food. The business of food is not taught well enough in culinary schools. That's what I'm trying to say. So you're talking about the, the back end? Uh, the, I'm talking about beyond the cost control classes, beyond the management classes, beyond the externship stuff and stuff, the real nuts and bolts, the restaurantowner.com type stuff. Got you. Beautiful. I think that, sh- that has a place in culinary school. And I agree with you 100%, which is one of the reasons why I started this podcast to extract that stuff from folks like you. And you've been amazing. Hari, thank you so much for taking the time to join us as a guest today. Um, we wrap up every episode by calling someone out. So who is one independent restaurant operator, somebody you admire in this industry, uh, preferably uh, an, an owner of sorts that can be a guest mentor like you were for us today. So I'm not sure if this person has been a restaurant owner, uh, but I completely look up to chef, uh, uh, um, um, uh, Ferdinand Metz. Who doesn't? Chef Ferdinand Metz. Yeah. Beautiful chef. He's a certified master chef, and uh, he was the president emeritus of the Culinary Institute of America for over two decades. He has his own company now called 
Certified Master Chefs LLC, I think, or Master Chefs LLC. And, uh, you know, I don't know if he's had restaurants. He probably has had restaurants. He came from, uh, I think, Germany or maybe Austria. Uh, he's a legend. He's a legend in the food world. Beautiful. Um, Ferdinand Metz, look out. I will be in touch with your people. I'll try to do what I can to get you <laughs> on the show. Uh, and, again, Hari, thank you. Chef Hari, thank you so much. My pleasure. Uh, for My you know, pleasure. Joining us. Just let the folks at home know how we can connect with you if uh, – you've inspired them and they would like to work beside you. Thank you. Sure. So we're Crest Restaurant, C-R-E-S-S Restaurant.com is the website. Crest Restaurant, all one word. We're located 103 West Indiana Avenue in Deland, Florida. And our restaurant number is area code 386-734-3740. Thank you again. Uh, There's no questioning. You are unstoppable. (laughs) Thank you. Cheers. It's been a pleasure, Eric. Well, there is another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Chef Hari Pulapaka, thank you so much for coming on the show. You really were awesome. I love the way you look at the world. And uh, one of the big lessons for me in this episode is do something incredible. Do something that people are going to talk about. He and his wife both work full-time jobs. Uh, He as a professor, she as a uh, doctor who owns her own practice, and together they are doing amazing things in their restaurant uh and i mean and not only are they doing it but they're just doing an incredible job and the big lesson for me today is if you're gonna do something uh do something incredible and make your story something that makes people talk and i think that's part of their story is that they're just such hard workers that they they go so hard during the day and they still have so much left over at night to serve their guests. And another real big lesson for me uh, in this uh, this episode, this conversation, was just to be honest, uh, to be transparent, to be a good person. And there's always so many good people that come on the show. And the, the example that he gives is, you know, if he's putting food out and he misses an ingredient or if something doesn't make it to the plate, he will rush that ingredient to the table and he'll confess like that guest will never know if that ingredient they'll they'll likely just not pick up on it but he knew and when you fail it's about what you do to make it right and um i think that that is true for everything in life when when you miss something or if you, you fall short it's it's not i mean we're all human we're gonna make those mistakes but it's what you do about those mistakes it's how you recover that really truly defines you and um and then lastly just that whole idea of uh, do what's right for you. Be honest to yourself. Uh, what are you trying to accomplish? And get that clarity, that ultimate clarity about who you are and what really matters to you in your life will be uh, so much more fulfilled. So beautiful stuff today. Like always, just reminders, connect with me on facebook.com slash restaurant unstoppable. Shoot me an email, Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com and keep those reviews coming those five star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio really do help and I love those 15 minute one on one chats anything you want to talk about if you just want uh, somebody to bounce some ideas off of if you want to reflect on a recent episode maybe I can help you connect with a past guest or a product or service that was mentioned on the show always looking to connect, connect with you guys love those conversations and uh, I guess that's all for today Thanks for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.